1: Apartments.com, apartments.com, the place to find a place.
0: Bada bing, bada boom.
1: Bada bing, bada boom decapitation. What? I tried to do like a cute little intro song on this one. Okay, listen, today's podcast is about decapitation. So if you've got a little bit of um, a little bit of fear of that, this is only going to make it worse. Get ready. Strap in. I was going to say click off, but don't. You should totally listen to this because these are some crazy stories. It's insane. So I know that there are a lot of serial killers. They are fascinated by decapitating people. It's a thing that we see just across the board. Serial killers are really forked up. Something's wrong with them, obviously. But today we are talking about two particular stories where these serial killers will decapitate the person and face the decapitated head towards the rest of the headless body while they commit acts of mutilation on the rest of the body so it's almost like in these serial killers heads they want their victim decapitated and dead obviously but to kind of symbolize them watching the torture being done on themselves Mm. By this serial killer. It's
0: dark. But it's they're dead so though. It's
1: so dark. I mean, yeah, they're dead. But it's all about the symbolics in this one. Like Edmund mm. Kemper. Okay, listen. If you guys haven't listened to our podcast episode number 11. um, It's literally called Sex with Severed Heads. Which like, what an amazing title. Yeah, this was... Uh, who thought of that title? Okay, <laughs> They're fired. Me. I'm fired. But that one is interesting because he had a thing where he would murder women. He was a serial killer. And he would decapitate them. Take their heads home. And, you know, make the head perform... Fallacio. Now, I'm gonna set you up for some plot twists on this first one. This is about a guy by the name of Charlie Brand. You're like, I've never heard of this man. Who is he? Is he a serial killer? He might be one of the most disgusting serial killers I've ever researched. So, this all takes place in 2004. Damn. Yeah, not the 70s, not the 80s, not the 60s. No, 2004 in Florida. 2004
0: in Florida. Yeah, I don't
1: know why I said that as if like that was like a (laughs) mic drop. So he lives in Big Pine Keys, which is part of the Florida Keys. And he had been married to a woman by the name of Terry for the past 18 years. By all means, everyone looked at this family as just the perfect couple. His occupation. He's a full on engineer. He was in charge of something called a radar blimp, which means that this radar tracks down any weird suspicious like uh, amount quantities of drugs that look like they're about to be smuggled into the US he works for um the government i believe uh-huh. it's it's like a radar company uh-huh. um but he's an engineer and that radar just tries to Radar drugs <laughs> I don't know what radars do <laughs> That radar radars the drugs Okay <laughs> And so he tracks down any drugs That are being smuggled into the US uh-huh. I personally don't think these radars Are that adequate I don't know how good they are But that's pretty much his occupation in Florida mm-hmm. um, Really don't know how it works Now he's married to this woman by the name of Terry And everyone said that their relationship Was kind of like gag worthy Like you just kind of wanted to throw up Every time you saw them together But in like the wholesome way not in the weird creepy way i know his eyebrows are going up he's like oh my god it's incest isn't it we've been doing a lot of incest cases i'm sorry no it's not it was because um they just really loved each other too much like uh-huh. they were just too much like they would always constantly tell people yeah that they would make each other's lunch every single day so terry would make a lunch for charlie oh, charlie so would they make don't a lunch.
0: do they don't make their own lunch no they you want to know why? For each other. Yeah.
1: You want to know why? Why? And I quote Because lunch made by the person who loves you tastes better. Kind of nasty.
0: Yeah, it's just what's wrong with
1: them? Kind of nasty. <laughs> we're jealous. Kind of <laughs> nasty. And so they were pretty much living like that nice, you know, Florida life. And then in 2004, hurricane just offset everything. But this is not one of those natural disaster stories. This is a story of a serial killer. So in 2004, Hurricane Ivan was headed straight for the Florida Keys, okay? And so everyone in the Keys, they were boarding up their homes, they are evacuating, and Charlie, he decided to board up the house too. Now, Charlie, being the engineer that he is, he was so detail-oriented in this process. The police later, when they go search his house, it's been boarded up. It is the most meticulous thing that they said that they had ever seen. He had these French doors that were made out of glass and so he boarded it up and the holes for the knobs were just these perfect circles that just perfectly fit the knobs. (laughs) And they were just like, who the fork? Like, this is so overkill. Mm -hmm. The couple decided to evacuate the keys. Now, Charlie thought this was really dumb. He's like, why do I have to leave? Like, it's probably Not that bad. He sounds like you for a second, okay? We could just like wait it out, it's gonna be fine. But Terry and her entire family were just really worried for the couple, so they were like, You can't do this, like, you have to get out of the keys. I heard this is gonna be the worst one yet. Now, thankfully, they had a niece by the name of Michelle, so this is Terry's sister's niece or Terry's sister's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. So this is um, blood relative to Terry, and this is just you know, a niece to Charlie. Mm-hmm. And so she lives in Orlando, which is a couple hours' drive from the keys, and she offered for the them to stay at her place for like two weeks. And they were like, okay, fine, offer accepted. So
0: How old is Michelle?
1: Michelle Jones, she's 37 years old. So she is, you know, she's got her entire life set up. She was a successful TV executive. She was living this great life in Orlando. She had this beautiful house that had a jacuzzi, a pool. Yeah, can you believe she never used the jacuzzi? Okay, <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm pretty sure she uses the, the jacuzzi, okay? But um, she had this like amazing house and she was like, hey, you guys come over, enjoy the pool enjoy the jacuzzi like it'll be a great time and she was really really close with Terry her um, aunt Mm because her mom lives in North Carolina so this was like the closest family member that she had so she was like please please just come just come so they drive up there and the first night that they get there I mean everything seems to be okay Charlie seems a little annoyed that they're in Orlando but I mean it looks like it's just gonna be a pleasant time Mm -hmm. now Michelle was really close to her uncle and aunt and so they're just drinking every night they're kind of hanging out in the pool they're watching movies together and Charlie would even go and visit his family members because they lived about an hour away from Orlando. So Charlie met up with his younger sister Jessica and Jessica says that you know Charlie's sister says that time was weird like he came over to her house and they were just talking and he kept talking about how much he wanted to get back home to the Keys and he hates it in Orlando. He hates it in Orlando and she just thought like maybe this is weird but it's also a time where everyone's anxious um, we did a case about Hannah Up who went missing in the Bahamas and no, in um, the Virgin Islands, yes. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of it's hard to tell if something is going on with people when there's a hurricane approaching because, like, obviously everyone's on edge. And that's kind of how Charlie was acting. So she didn't think too much into it. Now, at the end of their visit, he gives her, like, this really weird embrace. Like, he's not really a, an affectionate person, but he's like, come here, Jessica, let me give you a freaking hug. And he hugs her and he's just like, okay, goodbye. And just, like, leaves. And so she's like, okay, weirdo. Um, is he having like a midlife crisis? I don't really know. But this Mm -hmm. again, isn't something like, see, it's, it's always hindsight. I'm thinking if my sister did this, what would I do? I wouldn't call the cops. I would just be like, oh, like I'll call her tomorrow. She seems a little yeah. strange, right? But it wasn't something so alarming. So she's like, okay, fine, bye. Now a few days later pass and the hurricane has then gone and passed, right? So they're mm-hmm. like ready to go home. Charlie has been talking about how much he wants to go home the entire time. They had their bags packed, waiting by the front door, ready to go, when all of a sudden, Charlie's like, come on, can we stay one more night? Police, I would love to stay one more night. So Michelle is obviously like, Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, if you feel too tired to drive down, totally stay another night, right? And Terry was just like, Okay, well, I mean, we already packed all of our stuff. We were supposed to leave today. The hurricane's over. Okay. I mean, I get, yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll just stay another night. So that night, they slept over. And September 13th, 2004, is when all shit hits the fan. I'm talking so much shit. I'm talking decades of serial killing hits the fan in 2004. So this is where it gets insane. Now, prior to this, September 12th, the night that he wanted to stay that extra night, Mm -hmm. um, Michelle was supposed to have a bunch of friends come over and they were just going to hang out with her. And they knew the aunt and uncle. So they were like, oh, like they're staying another night. The friends were like, oh, we can still come over. Like we've hung out with them before. Like it'll be fun. And Michelle all of a sudden called them and said, wait, like just don't come over. You know, um, my aunt and uncle, we've been drinking and they're kind of getting into like a fight. It's just not a good vibe right now. So just don't come over. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. now the next morning, September 13th, 2004. Now, Michelle and her mom talk pretty much every single morning. She lives in North Carolina, like I said, but her mom is trying to call her and she's not picking up the phone. She tries calling her sister, knowing that, you know, her sister's at her daughter's house. No Mm -hmm. one's picking up the phone. So she's like, "Okay, this is a little bit weird, but they're full grown adults. I mean, Michelle is 37 years old, so she's not immediately calling the cops like she's not freaking out. And then the next day happens. Still no response, no text, no call, nothing thing. Mm -hmm. So she's like, okay, I'm getting a little bit nervous. But again, maybe they're just having a really good time. Mm -hmm. So then the next day approaches. Finally, September 16th, she's like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I really can't. You know, it's been three days. I haven't Mm -hmm. been able to talk to my daughter. There is no reasonable explanation why she hasn't called me back in three days, Mm -hmm. let alone send me just a simple text. So she calls up Michelle's best friend, Debbie, who lives in Orlando. And she says, you need to go to my daughter's house and you need to find out what's wrong with her because she hasn't been talking to me for the past three days and Mm -hmm. so debbie's like yeah absolutely ma'am and so she starts driving over to michelle's house and she gets to the driveway and she's on the phone with michelle's mom by the way and she's like oh well this is weird because all the cars are in the driveway like i see terry and charlie's car and i also see michelle's car so i mean they must be home like maybe they were just like drinking for like the weekend so they're too tired i don't know and so she starts walking up the driveway and then she walks to the front door and she starts knocking on it nobody answers and she's like, oh, okay, well, no one's answering. And she's like, what do you mean? But you, the cars are in the driveway. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to listen. It's the middle of the day, by the way. Mm-hmm. There's no noise. There's no activity. She can't hear anyone in the kitchen. She can't hear anyone in the back in the pool. Like, it's just dead silent, like almost in a weird way. So mm-hmm. she starts knocking harder because she's getting a little, whoa. Because <laughs> she's getting a little, like, nervous. She's like, why, why wouldn't they come to the, you know, door? Mm-hmm. So she starts knocking even harder. And at this point, she's like, Michelle? Michelle? Michelle it's Debbie Michelle and she's kind of panicking so she's like okay it's okay like Michelle's mom I'm on the phone with you like calm down right and Michelle's mom's on the phone she's freaking out so Debbie goes into her pocket and she pulls out her keys Debbie was one of Michelle's best friends they all had keys to each other's places in case of emergencies right and so she pulls out the key and she's trying to unlock the door while she's yelling for Michelle and the key won't work now, here's what's crazy, okay? A lot of people who have really researched this case or a lot of people who are close to the case and close to all of Michelle's friends, uh-huh. they said that it was kind of like, um, like a sign from either God or a miracle or divine intervention, whatever you want to call it, because the key actually works. Oh shit! but thankfully it didn't work because what debbie would have had to see instead of the police just seeing Uh it would have been so bad i don't know how someone could recover from seeing that crime scene inside and so the key for some reason it wouldn't work now obviously you could say maybe she was too panicked and like shaking or maybe in that urgent state she like got the wrong key you know Uh and so um it wouldn't work so she's so she does have the right key and it's
0: supposed to work yes that's it's wild. crazy.
1: Like the police will come and they'll use her key to get in. Oh wow! so like that's why everyone's like this is kind of you know very interesting and so she's like getting more frantic she's like did someone change the locks like my keys not working so Michelle's mom on the phone is getting increasingly panicked too and so they're both panicking which is never good but so she goes around the house just banging on all the windows she's like Michelle Michelle what's going on Michelle 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 right Uh and she starts walking towards the back where they have a garage door that is pretty much completely made out of glass so you can look into the garage right but you can't look into the house Mm -hmm. and she sees while she's on the phone with Michelle's mom Charlie hanging from the garage ceiling oh hell no he was hanging from a bed sheet there was a ladder close by now remember this is Orlando Florida it's hot it's humid it's a garage there's (sighs) no AC the decomp probably made this particularly gruesome Just incredibly gruesome to look at. And so she panics and immediately calls 911. And so they arrive. They use her key to get in through the front door. Now, the crime scene was insane. First, they see Terry in the living room. She slumped over on the couch and she had seven stab wounds to the chest.
0: Terry, the wife,
1: Charlie's wife, they knew Charlie was hanging from the garage ceiling and they said the the smell of that was intense because, like I said, hot and humid, right? Mm -hmm. And when they approached Michelle's room, they kind of expected her to be in the same situation that Terry was in, probably stabbed to death, right? Mm -hmm. But when they enter the room, holy motherfucking shit, I'm so sorry for all of those curse words, but okay get ready for this one a lot of the officers i'm talking seasoned detectives the minute that they opened michelle's room they ran out of the house and just fucking projectile vomited all over the front lawn And I know, I know what you're going to say, but I assure you, Florida PD has seen some shit, Okay, Like these dudes have probably seen it all. They probably seen some naked dudes like wrestling an alligator like they've probably seen it all, but they ran out the front door and just projectile vomited. It was that bad. So in her room, Michelle's body was on her bed. There was one fatal stab wound to the chest. Her decapitated head was placed next to her body as if she was made to watch the things that were going to happen to her body her breasts were completely cut off and placed on the bed next to her her entire body was cut open her heart and other vital organs were removed and then placed around her like imagine someone's like liver just hanging out right next to their dead body her intestines were the only thing that was um like tossed out um he had placed them in the trash Okay. But like all the other vital organs were on the bed, like around her,
0: like displayed.
1: Yeah, displayed. Like, like just yeah, a crime scene setup, right? And the rest of the room was littered with all of her bras and panties from Victoria's Secret. So a lot of the times, people refer, will refer to this case as the Victoria's Secret killer.
0: What What do you mean? He just f- dig up her yeah. her underwears and mm-hmm. underpants and litter them it throughout around. the room.
1: Yeah, but it gets kind of crazy. Because we find out that he has this weird thing for Victoria's Secret. Yeah. And for Michelle. So immediately when the family hears about this, they're all confused. And the whole family, especially from Michelle's side, Michelle's mom, you know, Terry's sister, Charlie's Uh sister-in-law. They all want to know who would want to hurt these three wonderful people who would do such a thing, who would do such a thing. Oh, they
0: thought Charlie was also a victim. Yes. Okay.
1: And the police were very, very, very... Um, unfortunately had to explain to them um, we don't think somebody did this to all three of them we think that this was a murder suicide by Charlie
0: so just by looking at the crime scene the police immediately think it's Charlie yeah but there there could be a possibility it's someone else no
1: I mean there was no signs of a break-in there was no signs of a struggle and it the way that it worked it didn't look like there was any DNA anywhere it Mm. looked like genuinely because it doesn't make sense for anyone to do this without robbing them And then the way that Mm -hmm. Charlie, it was self-inflicted.
0: Right, but you can also force someone to, hey yeah i I want you to tie the rope you can frame it yeah i mean i hope there's more evidence yeah
1: there's a lot more okay yeah but um it's a little weird right so they're like yeah we think it's uh charlie now obviously the whole family is confused because they're like they have been married for two decades like almost two decades we would know if something was gonna happen like if charlie was this crazy person who was gonna murder our family members and then commit suicide you think that we'd have like a sign like a signal right i mean he was just so utterly normal like that's how everyone describes and just fucking average, just normal. And so this was completely shocking. Now, the murder weapon used was Michelle's own kitchen knives, right? And Terry was cu- killed in a very quick, repeated stabbing type attack on her chest, like very just t- t- stabs, right? Michelle had one stab to her chest. And Michelle's murder, I mean, all of the evidence showed that this was a careful dismemberment. This took time, this took energy, this took thought, this took a lot of precision. It it wasn't something that was frantic it wasn't like someone just like went on a violent rampage it was it was meticulously done all of the cuts were clean her her clothes they um they were soaked in blood they had been taken off and placed in the bathroom sink not even tossed on the ground placed in the bathroom sink that's so strange what is happening It doesn't make sense. So obviously, immediately, the police are like, well, we think it's Charlie. So they go into his criminal record and they find no arrest, nothing in the system. There was not even like a DUI, like nothing. Not saying DUIs are easy or not that bad. But like I'm saying, there was no non-serial killer crimes. There wasn't a small little theft or a burglary or like a traffic ticket. That was a lot. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, this doesn't make any sense. So they bring in Charlie's family to ask them questions. And that's when Charlie's older sister says, oh, yeah okay and they're like you're not surprised by this i mean everybody else was like why Well, charlie's so normal and she's like no I." is this the
0: sister that
1: older sister that was the younger sister jessica oh
0: this is a separate sister yeah okay. the
1: older sister is like i am not that surprised because he's murdered before and the police are like well we've literally looked through his criminal record what do you mean he's murdered before we would have seen that if he was arrested for murder even if he was you know proven not guilty for murder or any of that or if it was self-defense we would have seen that on the record and she says well no you wouldn't have because the records are sealed and she went on to tell the first murder that charlie ever committed and it's gonna be wild i'm gonna it's gonna blow your socks off You know what blows my mind? The fact that cats have a litter box and they go to that designated spot and they take a poo. That blows my mind. Your cat is so smart. I don't have a cat because I'm allergic, but I have so many friends who have cats and I think they are so intelligent. Now, if I tell you that you can be a more intelligent cat owner, if you're a proud cat person and you love your cat, but that doesn't mean you have to love having a litter box inside of your home. Kitty Poo Club takes care of more of the unpleasant parts of cat ownership so that you can get back to just loving on your furry friend. Kitty Poo Club Club is an all-in-one litter box solution designed to be convenient for you. So every month, the Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with the litter of your choice. The boxes are leak-proof, they're eco-friendly, they have fun designs on them every single season, and when the month is up, you just recycle the box, and the Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver you a new one. No more changing out the used litter, no more cleaning the litter box. You can also customize your order based on how many cats you have. Do you have 10? Do you have 11? I'm not judging you. Kitty Club has a no risk guarantee so you can easily customize or cancel anytime. If your cat is that smart why aren't you bits? (laughs) That's a little aggressive (laughs) So give yourself the gift that keeps on giving the whole year A Kitty Poo Club subscription Right now Kitty Poo Club is offering you guys 20% off your first order when you set up auto ship By going to kittypooclub.com And entering promo code ROTTEN Just go to kittypooclub.com And enter the promo code ROTTEN To get 20% off when you set up auto ship That's kittypooclub.com And don't forget to enter promo code ROTTEN
0: ROTTEN
1: (laughs) So they're like, okay, we'll tell us about Charlie Brandt. We need to know everything. So he was born um, the second child of two German immigrants. Now, they Mm -hmm. just kind of like went everywhere. So they were living in Texas at one point. They settled in Connecticut, Indiana, eventually Florida. And Indiana is where everything will take place. So his dad was a laborer um, for a division of International Harvesters, which is like an American manufacturer. They manufacture like all of those big-ass... Things that people use to like grow pl- plants, like agricultural. You know stuff mm-hmm. Do you, okay. you know what I'm talking about I don't know what I'm talking Not about Not really but that's fine <laughs> Like commercial <laughs> Commercial vehicles For agriculture uses Right like yeah. to plant seeds And he eventually Worked his way up To be a project engineer So he uh-huh. kind of was Fitting the whole theme Of like the American dream Now the parents They grew up in the Hitler regime In Germany So they had A very strict A very kind of Intense household um, and There was no evidence Of any physical Verbal or emotional Or you know sexual abuse inside the house at all I mean all of the kids seem well adjusted other than Charlie Mm -hmm. and they were just a little bit strict mom she would do what a lot of moms do she would just nag the kids but that was about it again nothing too crazy the family did move a lot and Angela was the oldest Charlie was the second oldest and then they had two younger sisters right Mm -hmm. and they would constantly go to new schools they would constantly have to make new friends and everyone considered them a super normal family I mean Charlie was uh, he got good grades he was a little shy but That's not that bad, right? They would take Mm -hmm. vacations, family vacations to Florida where they would go hunting with the dad. I mean, nothing was that alarming, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Charlie was also considered a mama's boy, which will make everything a lot more puzzling. A lot more puzzling. Okay. So when Charlie is 13 years old, Mm -hmm. Angela is 15. And this is the first murder, okay?
0: What about the other younger ones? They
1: were like infants. They were young And they were living with the parents in Indiana With the two younger sisters And the mom, she was 8 months pregnant With their 5th kid And so she was really, really, really pregnant. She was taking these baths because she was like, oh, my gosh, like I'm in so much pain. And Mm -hmm. that night around 9 p.m., all of them had been watching TV together. And finally, they were like, hey, it's time to go to sleep. So Angela goes to her room. She starts reading a book on her bed. Mm -hmm. Mom goes to take a bath. Dad was shaving in the bathroom while mom is taking a bath. Right. Mm -hmm. The two younger girls have already been put to sleep. And that is when Dad said he saw out of the corner of his eye, Charlie walking briskly towards the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And Angela heard her dad yell, Charlie, no, Charlie, stop. Charlie had walked into the bathroom with a gun, shot his dad in the back and stood over his pregnant mom taking a bath and shot her five times.
0: He killed both of them?
1: Well, the dad will end up surviving.
0: Oh, so he shot the dad first and then
1: and then went and shot the mom five times why yeah and so at this point angela she's in her bed she was reading she hears that she hears the gunshots go off she starts freaking out she rushes to her bedroom door to go see what the fork's happening right Uh and that is when charlie was already standing in front of her bedroom door holding the gun and he clicked it and it, it it didn't fire like it got jammed Something happened The gun did not fire And she doesn't know how But the next thing she remembers Is that they were fucking wrestling on the ground She's like wrestling him She's trying to kick the gun away uh-huh. Charlie's like trying to punch her He's got like this crazy freaking look in his eyes Just insane It's She said that it was like It was glazed It was manic He looked like a madman And he wasn't Charlie anymore And she was bruised and bloody after this Right mm-hmm. And the whole time Angela kept screaming charlie i love you what are you doing charlie what are you doing charlie right Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden that look in his eyes just disappeared he stopped fighting her and he said what did i do oh no and so she said get off of me i need to go check what you did right and so Uh he gets off of her and she you know finds out that her parents have been shot so she's like oh my god like i'm gonna die like something's gonna happen to me right and he starts getting freaked out which is never a good idea right this is not good this is not gonna end well and so he's like what do you mean what did i just do what did did i just do like he's becoming frantic and so angela's in this really sticky situation where the more charlie gets freaked out i mean the more dangerous it is for her yeah so she's like trying to remain calm
0: like is he acting like he didn't know what he did
1: yeah he's kind of acting like he understands what he did but not really He's just like, why did I just do that? What did I just do? What did I like? He knows that he shot his parents, but he's just kind of like, why did I do that? Okay. And so she's like, it's okay, it's okay. She said that the only thing she kept thinking about was that she didn't want him to be afraid of her and kill her. Mm -hmm. So she kept trying to be on his side, and she was like, it's okay, we're gonna get through this together. I'm gonna help you through this. And she says, we have to leave before the police come. So they go downstairs and she says, but we can't leave our sisters, right, Charlie? And Charlie's like, yeah, yeah. He's like freaking out. And so she's like, it's cold outside. It's snowing. It's windy. It's, it's winter in Indiana. Charlie, I need you to go upstairs and get blankets. And I'm going to be downstairs getting the girls ready mm-hmm. so that we can leave before the police come. Mm-hmm. And Charlie proceeds to walk up the stairs backwards while he's looking at Angela. And he keeps saying, you're not going to leave me, right? You're not going to leave me, right? You promise you're not going to leave, right? You promise you're not going to leave, right? And Angela's like, why would I leave you, Charlie? It's okay. Uh You just need to get the blankets. It's so cold, okay? I'm going to be right here. Get the blankets. Mm -hmm. And once he got to the top of the stairs, she fucking bolted it to the front door. She booked it and she ran out barefoot in her little you know pajamas into the snow and Mm -hmm. she ran to her neighbor's house for help. She starts banging on the closest neighbor's door. And before the neighbors could come to the door, she sees Charlie running running up behind her screaming Angela you promised Angie you promised and so she ditches that neighbor's door and she goes on to the next neighbor's door and she's frantically screaming now Charlie proceeds to walk up to that first neighbor's door and calmly knocks on it and 16 year old Sandy opened the door and he said hey Sandy I just shot my parents And so they called 911, the ambulance where they got there. I mean, there was police everywhere. Charlie's dad survived and the mom and the unborn baby were declared dead at the scene
0: what the fuck happened yeah
1: and that's literally what the whole town of indiana was thinking (laughs) the whole state um it was fort wayne indiana the whole town of fort wayne but the whole state of indiana and nationally everyone was thinking what the hell happened right and everyone described him to be the quiet kid the last kid on earth who would shoot anyone much less kill his own mother i mean he was known to be a mama's boy why would he kill his own mom none of this makes sense Mm -hmm. it was so bad to the point where in fort wayne parents were like locking their doors at night From their own kids, (laughs) like not their front door, but like their bedroom door. Like they were locking that shit. Imagine that because, you know, usually it's like the other way around that we see a lot of parents being abusive to children, but like they were so scared of their kids they're like, I mean, I raised this baby and like, I think I love this and this baby loves me, but like you never know that baby could kill me. And so they were locking their doors. They were scared of their own children. And even the dad, when he was interviewed at the hospital by the police, he just was so confused. He kept saying, I don't know why he would do this. I just have no idea why he would do this. I don't know. Now... This did confirm that Charlie did do this, right? Everyone confirmed Mm -hmm. that he was the one that did this. And so the police start questioning Charlie. And they mentioned that his pupils were really dilated. Now, I don't really know what that means. A lot of people say that when you do have psychotic episodes or breaks or manic episodes, sometimes your pupils can dilate um i don't know if that's like i could find it in some sources but it doesn't seem like oh every time this happens this does happen right so it could be that or it could just be that he was in complete shock Mm -hmm. right and he just couldn't understand why he had done that and so everyone is looking for exactly what we were looking for i mean something's got to be wrong he's 13 right yeah so they did three separate psychological evaluations And all of the doctors said they were looking, they were looking so hard for any underlying signs of mental illness. But they all said that he was like a thing of mystery, like he was normal. And it just seemed like he snapped, but they couldn't figure out why they couldn't figure out how they couldn't figure out anything really.
0: That is so odd.
1: Yeah, and because he was young, um, he was underage, none of that was released, like their extensive review on any of that. I mean, a lot of the times it's not released, but especially because he's young. I -hmm. mean, the record of that was even sealed. So, of course, we don't really know anything else other than the fact that it was definitively said by these three separate doctors there was no evidence of psychosis, there was no distorted thinking. So this was the 70s and there was a law in Indiana where he couldn't be charged at the time of any murder. So they just sent him to a psychiatric hospital like they didn't even charge him formally. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's why there was no record of it anywhere. And the court just said literally the court said as they charged didn't charge him. They said antisocial conduct could repeat itself in the future. Anyway, bye. (laughs) So after just one year in this mental institution, the dad fought for his son to be released which I think is really bad. I just, I think it's, I mean, okay, listen, I don't know. The, usually I'm like all for parents getting involved, right? But in this situation, I think the boy needs help. I think he needs a lot of help. I think people need to figure out what happened here, right? And so he fought for his son to be released from the psychiatric ward and then he never talked about it ever again. The dad never talked to Charlie, never said, hey, Charles, um, you shot me. Why did you do that?
0: Oh, so he took him home But never, never talked, talked
1: about, about it. it Just acted like he went on to fucking summer camp for a year He he never said Hey uh, you know how you murdered your mom Like do you want to talk about it uh, do you know how you put, like, a bullet in my back? Like, you want to think about that a little? Like, should we talk about it? Should we think about it? Like do- Maybe
0: he doesn't want to trigger him.
1: Maybe, but there, it was just weird. It was so mm. weird to the point that even the two younger sisters were told that their mom died in a car accident. And it wasn't until 2004 that Jessica found out that her mom was murdered by her brother. The two younger sisters didn't know until 2004 that their mom was murdered by their brother, Charlie. Wow. They thought their mom died in a, in a car accident. And so, you know, he gets released. Nobody talked about it ever again. They decided to move the whole family to Florida because um, the dad's family, so the grandparents, they live in Florida. So I guess it was kind of like a support system that they needed. And within a year, the dad remarries. So Charlie's dad gets remarried and he moves the entire family back to Indiana, except for Charlie. He leaves Charlie in Florida with the grandparents. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have some speculations about why he might have done this. Maybe Charlie wanted to stay in Florida. Maybe Charlie loved the grandparents. But a lot of people think it was because the dad and Angela were really scared. And they were scared about the stepmom too. Because, I mean, if you can murder your own mom, you could probably murder everyone else plus the stepmom, right? Mm. And so they just kind of left him in Florida. And nobody talked about it ever again. Now, a lot of people believe, including Terry's family, the wife of 18 years, had no idea about this part of his past. Everyone just kind of hoped Charlie had changed. And people deep down thought, you know, his family members that were close to him deep down, they thought... See, this is proof that kids shouldn't be charged as adults because they just need a little help. Like one year in the mental institution, they get out and they become an engineer. Like if we had charged him for murder, it would have ruined his entire life. They just stopped talking about it and moved on. Mm -hmm. Now in 2004, when they find Michelle, Terry and Charlie dead in Orlando, Florida, obviously there was so much anger from the press and particularly Michelle's parents because, you know, Charlie's family never really reached out and said how sorry they were especially charlie's dad and they knew michelle's family knew that terry because they're all family Mm -hmm. terry would never have married him if she knew what he did when he was 13 and so there was just like this huge debate sparked in the press where everyone was debating, you know, is once a killer always a killer? Like, is that a thing? Like, evil is born, it's not made. Like, he's just an evil person. Oh, wait, did he do some more stuff, right? And that is what the police were on. The police were running a full force investigation at this point. Because, I mean, technically, within case closed, like, this is murder suicide. He has a history of murdering people. But the mutilation of Michelle was just too perfect. It's so clean. It was oh, so... Oh, like experience. Yes. It was too precise. It's not normal for someone to murder in their teens and then murder in their 40s forties, and then nothing in between. R- right. It's one thing to murder in your teens never again or never and then once in your 40s. You know what I mean? But this just didn't make any sense. You know, for a lot of profilers, it was like, it doesn't make sense that 13 it happens and then nothing. And then at 40 years old, perfect mutilation of a victim. Okay. So they try to piece it together. This is where it gets weird. If I think one person knew the whole picture, maybe someone could have stopped Charlie. Maybe Charlie could have been taken in to some sort of, I don't know. I don't know, honestly, what someone would have done, but this is what they pieced together. So Angela, they ask Angela, so how was he now? Like, did he get better after he, you know, went through the whole institution and all of that? Mm -hmm. And Angela said that she was still terrified of him, that even to this day, she never visited him. Um, if he came to stay with her, she would lock the door in her bedroom. She would barricade it with a dresser at night, and she just didn't want him around the kids.
0: Holy shit.
1: This is her brother. Now, Charlie's co-workers were all interviewed, too, and they also said some alarming stuff. They said that they, he constantly talked about his niece, Michelle, but he never called her Michelle. He called her Victoria's Secret. What? Because she always wears Victoria's Secret. And so he called her Victoria's Secret. And he would always talk about all the men that she was seeing. It was just really creepy. It was really obsessive. It was just really strange. All of it was so strange. Yeah.
0: That's creepy.
1: Very creepy.
0: I thought everybody say he loves his wife.
1: Yeah. But I guess at work, he would talk about Victoria's Secret. And he would never call her Michelle. Yeah. Now Charlie had a best friend by the name of Jim now this is gonna get a little weird and a little confusing because Jim was married to Angela Jim was Angela's husband at one point And that's how he met Charlie She was like oh hello husband Meet my brother Charlie And he already knew about Charlie's past Because Angela was like oh I feel like this is really important That you should know this part of my past Before we get married right And -hmm. so he was like wow thank you so much for telling me All of this stuff but like now that I've met Charlie You're right I do think that he has changed And Angela's like okay sure fine whatever bye And so Jim's like I like him I like Charlie and they became friends Almost immediately they were really close friends. Mm-hmm. Now one day, Angela leaves Jim. She's like, "I'm divorcing you. I don't like your ass anymore, okay? Bye. Mm-hmm. Here's your divorce papers. Get out of here." And so Jim, he ends up briefly staying with Charlie in the Florida Keys cuz he's like, "I don't have anywhere to go." And you know, Charlie's kind of my best friend and he's family at this point. So, he's like, "Can I stay over?" And Charlie's like, "Absolutely." So one day they go fishing and Jim's like talking about how he wants revenge on Angie. Now, I think he's talking about in the sense of like, "I'm going to get like a hotter girlfriend, you know. She's going to regret leaving me i don't know why i think jim talks like this sorry jim um so he was just like yeah like i'll show her like i'm gonna get like a i'm gonna be a millionaire and then i'm gonna get like this hot 20 year old model and then she's gonna be like jim take me back i'm like, gonna he buy was, GameStop. game i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna get rich on game Stonk. And she's going to want me back. And so, um, you know, he was thinking like these things, like these Mm -hmm. very normal thoughts that everyone has had after a breakup. And Charlie looks at him and says, do you know what the perfect revenge is? And Jim's like, what? What? Game stonk? And he's like, no, you kill someone and you take their heart out and you eat it. Now, just remember that he is talking about his own sister that he had tried to kill when he was 13. That makes it all weird. This is already weird, but the fact that this is his sister is even weirder. So Jim just like ignores it. Jim's like, "I am sure it's fine." Like that's a weird joke. He's just edgy. <laughs> like Jim just fucking Jim. Jim's going to kind of make you mad. I'm sorry. Jim, I'm a little annoyed with you. <laughs> but like it's going to be fine. So he just like ignores this massive freaking red flag. He's just like edgy humor. Hee hee. Now a couple years later, Terry terry charlie's wife right Mm -hmm. comes up to jim and is like hey i need to talk to you jim because you know who invited do you know who set up charlie with terry jim terry's wife was jim's friend and so he was like hey do you want to like you know marry my former brother-in-law my ex-brother-in-law and she like started dating him and they got married and so she pulled jim aside and she said i think i want to call the police on charlie this is charlie's wife and she says, I came home early from work one day. And do you know how that we have that fish gutting room? So I, I don't know if this is like a Florida thing or like a keys thing or like a fish thing. I don't know. But they've got like a small utility room, almost like a laundry room. But it's solely for the purpose of like um cleaning out fish. Because mm-hmm. I guess they fish a lot, right? Okay. And so before they eat it, they want to like gut it. They want to get all the blood out and all the, you know, smell out of the house without bringing it in. Yeah. And she said that she had come home early from work one day and he was covered in blood in that room. Mm-hmm. and Jim's like, well, yeah, it's a fish cleaning room. You know, this that's how it works. And she's like, yes, but there was no fish.
0: And what's in there?
1: She didn't know, but there was no fish in the room.
0: This is like one of those haunted stories.
1: Yeah, and so she was like, I want to call the sheriff on him because did you know, did you know that they recently found a girl that was murdered that was not too far from here, and they found her mutilated in a rowboat, and I'm just, I'm scared.
0: She thought it was him.
1: I think Charlie did it.
0: Oh, that's creepy.
1: That's creepy. Yeah. He was just covered. There was no fish. And Jim, Jim just starts fucking making excuses. He was like, you, you just don't understand. Like, what if it was sashimi? me? Like, what if he ate it on the spot as he's cleaning it? No fish. No fish for you. I don't know why. That's
0: so fucking weird. Yeah. So the wife already feels like the husband could be a serial killer. Yes. And Jim knew about this information. Yes. And he only told them at that point.
1: Was just like Jim just started defending Charlie to Terry. He was just like, I mean, yeah, if you want to call the sheriff, that's fine. But you know, this is marriage-ending stuff, you know that, right? Like, you think that th- if you call the police, yeah, you guys are probably gonna break up. Like, there's no way that he's gonna be like, Oh my god, wifey, you think I'm a serial killer? That's okay. I still love you and trust you. Let's be in a happy marriage together. No, like you guys are gonna get a divorce. And mm-hmm. so she kinda he kinda talked her out of it, and they never spoke about it. Ever again. So You know, like I said, marriage has a lot of risks, but you know what? (laughs) You know, what doesn't. I'm going to tell you about something that I put in my armpits every single morning. I have a thing where I am very cautious about what I put on my skin, not just my face, but everywhere on my body, because your skin absorbs so quickly. It absorbs every single chemical that you put on top of it. Deodorant was one of those things that I was terrified of. I just didn't understand the ingredients. I also really didn't like all of the plastic usage in deodorants, and that is why I've been using Native. For years now If you guys follow me on YouTube You know that I've been using it Literally I think for three years And it's an aluminum free deodorant And it's a great addition To your 2021 routine Listen Native cares about What you put on your armpits That's why their deodorants Ingredients list Includes only the things That you've heard of Like coconut oil And shea butter Another plus None of their products Are tested on animals And almost everything is vegan The best part is It's completely risk free to try So every product comes With free shipping Within the US Plus free 30 day returns And exchanges They also have options. Let's say you have baking soda sensitivities. They have a sensitive deodorant line for you. They have a plastic-free deodorant line for you. They also have rotating seasonal scents, which are kind of my favorite. You can subscribe to Native so you never have to sweat about running out of deodorant again because that that is a panic moment. Make the switch to Native today by going to nativedeo.com slash rotten or use promo code rotten at checkout and get 20% off of your first order. That's Native D-E-O. E O dot com slash rotten or use promo code rotten at checkout for 20% off your first order. This is where it gets even crazier. So everyone starts asking Jim. The police got a lot of questions for Jimmy. So they're like, listen, Jimmy, does she know? Did Terry know about Charlie's past? Because you know, you're the one that set them up together. Right. And that's when he says, listen, when Charlie said that he wanted to propose to Terry, I asked him if he told her about, you know, the thing, the thing. Did you tell her about the thing in your past? Mm -hmm. And he said, no, I don't really want to. And so Jim said, well, if you don't, I will, because she deserves the right to know. And so they never talked about it again. And there you go. Charlie and Terry, they had a surprise wedding. None of Charlie's family or friends were invited to the wedding. And Jim never brought it up with Charlie again. He claims that he assumed that Terry knew because one time he asked Terry, hey, so like when are you guys going to pop out some babies now that y'all are married? And she said, you know, well, considering everything, I don't think that's a good idea. And so he was like, oh, duh. That means she knows about the thing. Which is weird because, I mean, people say that all the time. You know, no. there's lots of people who don't want children for whatever reason. But I'm reason.
0: also imagining it would be a very complicated <sighs> conversation to have. Can you imagine Stephanie Sue trying to have a conversation <laughs> like that?
1: Listen, Forget about
0: it. She has, she can't even ask.
1: <laughs> I can't even ask for <laughs> um, extra ketchup at the drive-thru, okay? <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. I'm trying to get better because I know that there's lots of important conversations that need to be had. But, like, I will literally get indigestion and start sharting before I can have that said important (laughs) conversation. It's just like a, I physically reject confrontation. (laughs) And so he was just like, well, I guess that means that she knows. And that was it. And now the police are like, really? None of this was a red flag for you? And he just said, listen, if there was even a bug in the house, you know, Charlie is the type that he wouldn't even step on it. He would lead it outside. He's just such a gentle guy. I never thought anything bad would happen. Mm-hmm. So the police decide to search the house in Florida Keys, which I'm sure was such an eerie feeling because the it was just boarded up for the hurricane and the hurricane mm-hmm. had passed and it's all still boarded up and shit. Mm-hmm. And that's when they see how... I mean, meticulous this guy is. That's why they think that this isn't his first like m- ver- murder after he was 13. Because mm-hmm. um every piece of wood panel was cut out. It looked like it was custom fit for the windows. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, all of the holes for the doorknobs were perfect. Mm-hmm. Everything inside the house was absolutely meticulous, well cleaned, just perfectly in place. Mm-hmm. Now, they did find a couple of alarming things. One being that in Charlie's room that he shared with his wife, mm-hmm. on the back of the door... They had this huge graphic poster of female anatomy of the bedroom door. It showed the skeletal system and the muscular system. Now, you might think that this is not that weird, but let me tell you why it's weird. I saw a picture of it, and it's not one of those like doctor's office ones. It's not like a very professional clean cut one. It's a really weird one. I've never I don't even know where you would buy something like this. It was a woman cut in half, mm-hmm. um, obviously not extensively graphic, but still very odd. Now, one half of her body, like let's say the left side, showed her. Skeletal system the mm-hmm. right side showed Her muscular system but mm-hmm. she had a full Head of hair that was done up in a bun Which is just weird Like usually medical professionals wouldn't Do stuff like that like use a chart like that And it's strange because neither of Them are in the medical profession So like why do you have this on the back Of your bedroom door it's just Like weird like people post like you know Band posters their favorite Art or artists their um, I don't know favorite movie Like, why would you have this on the... It's just weird. It was just graphic and weird. They also had tons of books on anatomy. They had tons of newspaper clippings about human hearts. It was just all getting I mean, these
0: are all tied into the way he cut up the body and moved the so that i can that draws a connection to it then like so
1: he's obsessed with human anatomy
0: yeah but But for what reasons is it for medical reasons or for i don't know spiritual reasons or
1: for serial killer reasons bro okay i just (laughs) called you a bro (laughs) like for like cutting up bodies bro because i mean this isn't something that like there was no spiritual reason for him to have it there was no religious reason there wasn't really a hobby like he liked fishing but, like, th- he didn't have, like, a hobby of, like, oh, one day I'm going to be, like, a fucking chiropractor, you know? Mm-hmm. None of that was there. So they thought it was strange. Now his internet search history was going to get even weirder. He extensively Googled autopsy photos. I'm like, he's a true crime podcaster. That's his job. I'm kidding. No, but, like, but like so have I, so I can't really judge. But he extensively Googled a lot of autopsy photos. He also had a, a lot of necrophilia-related searches. Like what? Like, just, like, what is it? How is it? Photos of necrophilia. Just, like, a lot. And he's there was, into it. Yeah, there was a lot of searches on just, like, death in general. Um, lots of, lots of um, searches for trying to find snuff films. Oh typically with violence against women. So, yeah.
0: he, all these sounds very Serial twisted. Killery, yeah. So, these are, this is the side that he doesn't show to no. everyone.
1: But, Terry was slowly getting in on it. She knew something was weird and they knew this because Terry had a journal. Now, it's not a diary. It's not going to. I know I was excited when I, you know, I was like, oh, my God, she's got a journal. Let me go look for it. Right. It wasn't like a day day by day entry thing. Right. It wasn't like she was documenting everything in her life, but it was a planner. So she would write down, oh, I have a dentist appointment this day, right? This day, this day. And some of the days were really weird. So one day was just marked weird day. Just weird day. Another day, she would write, Charlie stayed out all night, didn't come home no explanation and then another day she would write down Charlie got home at 3 a.m. so I think that she was tracking his activity and looking for local crime because that kind of mm. adds up with what Jim was doing yeah. like she was so suspicious at that point now when he stayed late I mean what kind of excuse do you have when she knows where you work you probably weren't at work and yeah. she's like okay I'm gonna write this down if some shit goes down on this day and I look at the news and a girl is dismembered I'm gonna call the cops you know yeah. I think that's what she was doing she Probably had really dark suspicions about her own husband but w-
0: w- did the police connect the dates?
1: Yes, oh, Ugh, it's shit. crazy. And so it seems like, you know, even though she had these crazy suspicions, I know a lot of people are going to be like, come on, Terry, like, why did not you just call the cops? Right. But I feel like after 18 years, you're probably like, this is my I'm am I losing it? Like, am I watching too many Netflix docuseries about serial killers? Like uh, (laughs) my husband is obviously completely normal. And so the police open up a large scale investigation. They connected because he lived in the Bahamas at one point, Indiana. There was just he went through a lot of states and they were able to connect with different law enforcement close to 26 cases with similar MOs. So you're talking victims were decapitated, mutilated and had their organs removed. Now, they traced his travels and there was never like an official list that was released to the public of all of the potential or confirmed victims. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you about a couple. Now, the first two, I'm going to go chronologically so that it makes more sense. But the first two, um, the police did not come out and confirm that these were attributed to Charlie. But um, the family also of the first one was really upset because think about it. If you have an unsolved case that's really close to you and now they're just saying, hey, this dead person was a serial killer and we think that they are all tied together, then no one's going to be looking for the murder of your case. So I can see why they were upset. Right. So the first was Carol Sullivan from 1978 and Carol would have been 12. Charlie would have been 20. She was abducted from her school bus stop in Valoisia County, Florida, which is where Charlie lived at the time. Mm -hmm. And her head was found in a paint can, like in a bucket. And she had been murdered and decapitated. Now, there was no other evidence linking Charlie to the crime other than the fact that she was decapitated and her head was left in a bucket and he lived in the county. Mm. That was about it. Now, Lisa Saunders, 1988, Lisa was 20, Charlie was 30. She was found beaten, stabbed, and dragged from her car in Big Pine Key which is where Charlie lives, and her heart was missing when she was found. Not only her heart, but her brain, her appendix, neck muscles, her ovaries, her eyes, her whole vagina, her left fallopian tube, her bladder, and parts of her lung were missing. There was also evidence that she was tied to the back of a car and then, like, they drove, drug her behind the car for about half a mile.
0: Jesus.
1: Now, the the part that it gets confusing is that the pathologists, they couldn't say 100% if the organs were, were removed by the killer or by vultures. You know, like, animals that will find you afterwards. But the cuts weren't as meticulous. So a lot of people have speculations. There is a big group of people, especially on Reddit, that think that Lisa Saunders was a victim of Charlie because... They think that this was the beginning. The cuts weren't that meticulous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some people might be like, well, then it's not Charlie because Charlie is meticulous. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to start somewhere, right? Right. I mean, that's what people think. That was really bad. But you know what I mean? Now, Sherry Parisho. This is what the police have pretty much... Like, I wouldn't say 100% confirmed, but they're pretty confident that she was a victim of Charlie. So Sherry Parisho, in 1989, she was 38 years old, and Charlie was about 32. She was found... Her body was found, like, partially clothed near North Pine Channel Bridge at Big Pine Key, where he lives. Mm -hmm. And her throat had been slashed. Her head had been nearly decapitated. So almost fully mm-hmm. extensively mutilated her heart was removed and she was found on a little boat less than a thousand feet away from Charlie lived this is the one that Terry was worried about So close to their house. He had blood all over him. There was no fish. What's going on? She was found a thousand feet away from the house. Charlie also matched the composite sketch of the man seen crossing U.S. Route 1 near where she was discovered the night of her murder and they released that sketch so i'm pretty sure terry saw that sketch saw that you know he had blood all over him and she was just like what the fuck Uh and i think this is when you know she started really tracing things right Uh and then in 1995 there was a darlene toller so they were both 38 years old at the time she was a sex worker from miami now her body was found with her head and her heart missing she was wrapped in plastic and discovered near a highway this particular highway charlie uses a lot Mm now you're thinking thinking okay well everybody fucking uses highways right but charlie was really meticulous to the point where he tracked all of his mileage like literally he would write down how many miles that he rode on what highway all of that jazz and he had this little diary and he wrote down that he had an entry of 100 miles on this big stretch of highway going from big pine key to miami the day of the murder He's like, I'm going to murder people, but I still need to get my little mileage discount. Like what? So he wrote that down. Now, here's where it gets even crazier. Darlene's body had dog hairs on it, which was just kind of confusing when the police found her in 95. Right. They later was able to conclusively pin it on Charlie because well, not pin it, but link it to Charlie because he had dog hairs in his car and it was the same dog hair. Now, Charlie doesn't have a dog. Charlie doesn't have a dog. Side note, this isn't really pertinent to the story, but I thought it was fascinating, okay? He doesn't have a dog, but he had a friend who had a dog who needed someone to take the dog to the vet. So Charlie was like, oh, absolutely, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And this friend had been friends with Charlie for a while, and at one point, he had confessed his love for her and was just like, I love you so much. And she was just like, whoa, I thought we were friends, you know? Like, I don't see you like that. He eventually got married, so they stayed friends because she was like, oh, like, it's fine. Like, I'm not going to completely stop talking to him just because he felt a little more strongly towards me, right? But she said that for about a year or two after she rejected him, even though they were still friends, he wasn't angry or anything. She would have these like really odd dreams where he was just chasing her.
0: Okay, now that's weird information. No, that's like really weird
1: information. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) but just like, you know, I don't know if it was like hindsight or... It's
0: like, okay, she saw him in a dream.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And um, guilty. (laughs) And so it was just really weird weird Mm -hmm. so they were able to tie him to those two but there's still like a list of 26 potential victims that could have been charlie Mm
0: Hmm. wow so we're talking about a fucking serial killer serial killer killer yeah but nobody had an idea
1: yeah and nobody really talks about this dude you never really know who you're sleeping next to is what i get from this story yeah you never know. And they were married 18 years. It's not even like they just got married like a couple months ago. That's a little bit different. Uh-huh. And so this, you know, brought up a lot of questions about how children should be charged. Now, obviously, but wh- the why, rules. Why yes. did
0: he take his own life?
1: I think he knew that Terry was catching on.
0: Oh, so he felt like Terry was catching on. Yeah. So he decided to kill Terry. And- yeah
1: i think he's always had a weird thing for michelle i think maybe he knew that terry was catching on and i think that's why he was like you know what fuck it let's stay an extra night you guys
0: did he do something to michelle
1: i don't know i don't think so i mean i couldn't find any reports of any assaults so what is his
0: deal he likes to remove like
1: yeah he has it's like a fascination with anatomy interesting no no I mean, it's got to be a mixture of everything. It's got to be a mixture of just like the aspect of making them like kind of, I don't want to say look, but the head quote unquote look at the torture being done. Mm -hmm. He's obsessed with anatomy. Maybe he wants to play sick serial killer doctor.
0: Okay. So just based on his search histories and all of that, information we can tell that he's not you know he he knows exactly what he's doing right mm-hmm. but he's definitely showing a different side of him oh, yeah. to everyone everyone but secretly he's into these really dark things. And it
1: seems like only a couple people here and there knew like a little bit of that darkness. Mm. So, like, it seems like his family probably knew the most, like Angela and the dad, right? Mm-hmm. But everybody else, his coworkers are like, that's dark. He's kind of into his niece, weirdo, right? But mm-hmm. they're not gonna like try to fucking get him fired, you know? Mm-hmm. And then everyone else, okay, Jim, he knew a little too much. Jim, I don't know, dude. I'm a little annoyed with Jim. But everybody else, it seems like they just knew like maybe one or 2% of that darkness. But they're probably like, everybody's got darkness. But he just was like 100% evil so this brought up a lot of questions about you know everything obviously laws are different now um, in most states I believe even if you're 13 it's it's a charge that you're probably going to get charged with murder let's be real mm-hmm. but it's just had a lot of um, do you think that that's okay to like seal people's juvenile records when it's that bad like how can you even t- tell if it's good to seal it like I feel like people always get hurt so Michelle's parents right now are pushing for a database you know how there's like a database for sex offenders well mm-hmm. now they're pushing for one for any Murderers regardless of um, The charge like Of the age regardless of If it's self-defense regardless of the Circumstance Mm -hmm. you should be on a Database to prevent any of this From happening now I can see the flip Side where maybe it was self-defense And because you're on this database now You are completely just You lose job opportunities You lose the friends you lose family members You feel just like a pariah In your society like I understand all of that So it's just weird I feel like it's a situation where nobody wins like there's always gonna you're always gonna hurt a big group of people either way if you don't there could be more situations like this if you do a lot of people could you know ruin their lives from it so it's yeah. weird it's it's like the straw thing i was watching on tiktok I, I don't know how i got on straw talk but on tiktok they were saying that um it's hard because a lot of disabled people rely on plastic straws in public areas
0: what do they you mean? need
1: plastic straws that bend And so they need those to stay hydrated. They only use bendy plastic straws. And now there's almost this social stigma that you're this evil person. Or now these, you know, stores are trying to be like, we don't have plastic straws. And Mm -hmm. so now at most places that they go, it's really difficult for them to get plastic straws. And then I saw a lot of people debating that saying like, well, you know, there are silicone bendy straws. But then people were saying, but the problem is if you're disabled, it's probably very difficult for you to wash that straw. And then reuse that straw and then wash it again and then reuse it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's just like this really complex argument between a lot of different people. And I think with a lot of it was the fact that, you know, straw consumption is a very low percentage of the plastic, you know? And so it's just like this whole thing. And so I'm just sitting there thinking because I'm like, well, I want everyone to be happy. Not that anyone cares what the four guys say, right? So I'm like thinking in my head, like, is there a solution where everybody is happy? And I'm like, no, because every situation I feel like there's somebody that gets hurt and I think this is one of those situations like if it's not the turtles it's somebody else if it's not them it's this it's it's, I don't know (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I'm just saying this one is I don't know what to say it's just so intense
0: wow absolutely gnarly
1: now this is what you all came for the real story that we're getting into Ted Bundy 2.0 let's do this what <laughs> Yeah. so he's known as the Gainesville Ripper so his name is Danny Danny Rowling and um, the, I was fascinated by this guy for quite a bit of time I actually started this research when I was studying um, not studying researching Ed Kemper and mm-hmm. it's just uh, I just can't really put my finger on it something about him is just really weird so um, a lot of people were requesting this ever since I covered the murder of Cassidy Jo Stoddart where a lot of these teenage boys were inspired by the the movie scream to murder their friend and then vlog it afterwards you know they were like in the car vlogging and all that shit right Mm -hmm. well this is the guy that inspired that movie it's one thing to murder people because you're inspired by a movie but it's another thing to like have these crazy directors in hollywood be like that guy's twisted let's make a movie out of it like you gotta be some you're sick it's like the ed gain like he inspired so many horror movies nasty okay so danny rowling He was born in Louisiana to a James and Claudia Rowling, and his childhood was really shitty. Like, it was a lot shittier than Charlie's. I'm not trying to compare, but, like, it was a lot shittier, okay? So Danny's dad was a police officer who would beat his children and wife repeatedly, but also be like, what are you going to do, call the police? Like, he was evil. He was (laughs) evil, okay? He would constantly tell Danny, hey, uh, just so you know, you're a big mistake, and I'm really upset that I had you. Like, imagine just growing up listening to that. At one point, Claudia even went to the hospital, and said that hey excuse me doctor my husband just tried to force me to cut myself with a razor blade and i am injured and so it was just a shit show right she would constantly leave him take the kids and be like we're going to start fresh and then she would go back to him and then it would just be this really toxic pattern and the dads would even do the dad would even do this thing where he would buy the kids a puppy he'd be like hey i love you guys again right and danny loved that puppy that was D- danny's favorite puppy and the dad Beat that dog all the time. And one time when Danny was only five years old, he beat the dog so hard that the dog died.
0: Beating the dog to show the kid or...
1: Just like pissed at the kids, pissed at the dog, I guess. Like maybe the dog peed.
0: Oh my God.
1: And this abuse would continue. At one point in his teenage years, Danny was pinned to the ground. He was wrestled onto the ground by his own father, who then proceeded to handcuff him, called the police to him, and said, Hey, my colleagues, my fellow police officers, take this motherfucker away because I'm embarrassed to be his dad. Like that's so sad. Mm -hmm. And just at 15 years old, Danny had his first suicide attempt. He slit his own wrist. He had written with his mom's lipstick on a mirror of the bathroom. And it said, I tried. I just couldn't make it. And he slit his wrist. He survived the attempt, but it just goes to show like how much abuse he probably endured and how much like how, how much how traumatic this was. And it just was a lot. So immediately after high school, he enlisted in the Air Force for a brief moment. Everyone called him smart. Everyone said that he nailed his academic coursework, but he just kept drinking and using drugs and it started impacting his performance. The military psychologist actually diagnosed him with borderline personality disorder and he was discharged. From the Air Force, so now he has nowhere to go. It seems like a lot of serial killers join these like um, defense departments because it's you have a place to go. You know, you get yeah. away from your family. You, it's it's stable a lot of the times, right? But he goes back to Louisiana and he starts trying to like make a life. he goes to church, he meets a woman by the name of Omather Halko. And she was a petite, dark haired woman. And this is really important because Danny Rowling had a type. He only liked petite, dark haired, Caucasian woman. This is kind of like um, David Berkowitz. I'd be so scared if I was a petite, dark haired woman right now. You know, they get married. They have a daughter and they were only married for three years. Now, during these three years, Danny was an asshole. OK, he would drink a lot. He would he couldn't hold down a job like he was just not doing anything. He wasn't involved in the family. He wasn't trying to make a better life for the kid. And so obviously the wife is like, fine, that I'm divorcing you because I don't need to be in this relationship. And he was really pissed off about it. He was like, how dare you? How dare you? Just because I am lazy. I don't want a job and I drink all the time. And I am violent towards you guys How dare you divorce me And so he was really pissed off by this And this is really pertinent to the story Because he does some 50 Shades of Grey shit Because he becomes violent towards women Who look like his ex-wife mm. And there was one woman um, Out of all of his victims That looks the most similar to his ex-wife And she endured the most torture So he starts drifting around. So he goes from like Louisiana to Alabama to Georgia. And his M.O. was to rob supermarkets. That was his favorite thing. The police caught him in Georgia robbing a Winn-Dixie. And he had about $1,000 in cash. And he was sentenced to six years in prison for robbing the cashiers at that Winn-Dixie. And in prison, inmates were terrified of him. They called him Psycho. That was his nickname. You know how you get a nickname in prison? Mine would be little bitch. They called him Psycho.
0: Yeah, that's good So they
1: were scared. Now, um, he's released after six years, and he starts robbing more places. So he learned nothing in prison. Nobody ever does. Prison sucks. And he just starts moving from state to state, just being a full-forced criminal. And then he gets into another armed robbery, gets arrested. And this time, he tells his defense attorney something insane. He says, listen, I really don't want to go to prison, okay? And the defense attorney is like, well, um, they have a lot of evidence against you and you have a record. So you're probably going to do at least, uh, you know, a couple years in prison, right? So you just got to get, you, you got to warm up to the idea of prison, dude. And he said, why don't you go to the judge and ask him to just cut off my hands? What? <laughs> because if he cuts off my hands, I can never steal again. Isn't that better? Um, I really don't want to go to jail. Just tell him to cut off my hands and I don't have to go to jail.
0: I see, psycho. <laughs> yes,
1: psycho. Yeah, a little, a little weird. <laughs> I've heard that breaking out of the student debt cycle almost feels like you're chopping off your own hands. Like it's just the most ridiculous thing ever, and times are tough, and worrying about all of these different loan payments just doesn't make it any easier or any more simple. And that's why refinancing your student loans with Earnest could really help. With today's low interest rates, it's a great time to refinance those student loans. Earnest offers low rate student loan refinancing, and you can check your rate risk free in just two minutes. With Earnest, you get radically flexible payments, and you can pick your loan term, which I feel like gives you a lot of freedom. By refinancing, you can reduce your loan term, save money, or combine multiple loans into one simple monthly payment. And this is my favorite part. If you have a ton of questions, you can even talk to a real live human at Ernest for help. Because sometimes it gets really confusing, not gonna lie. You know, student loans, they're complex. Isn't it time you stop feeling overwhelmed by your student debt? Ernest is offering you guys a $100 cash bonus to refinance your student debt at Ernest.com slash rotten.
0: Turns and conditions apply.
1: Once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you visit Ernest.com slash rotten to refinance your student loan. So, obviously, he's got some things going on. He's got some impulse control problems. And they called him very emotionally immature. That was what everyone said, that he doesn't understand consequences. He doesn't understand the depth of his actions. And after his second sentence, he moves back home to Louisiana again. And he starts working at a restaurant. And then he gets fired because he's always drinking. He's late for work. He's not a really good employee, honestly, right? Mm -hmm. So, once he gets fired, he's super pissed. Now, that's the night that he commits his very first murders news <laughs> Three murders the first night that he ever killed, allegedly. Um, maybe there's more. I don't know. So he had been following this woman by the name of Julie Grissom, who's 24 years old. So, you know, Dillard's like the department store. She had worked there. And mm-hmm. I don't know if he had passed by that Dillard's or he had just been stalking people in the parking lot. But he had seen her and thought that she was very beautiful. And it was exactly his type. Now, I don't know if he had been stalking her in the sense of like, oh, I'm going to ask this woman out. Right. Or he was prepping for this murder. But whatever. He gets off work. He's super pissed that day because he just got fired. So he waits in the Dillard's parking lot until she gets off her job, follows her home, breaks into her house, rapes and murders her. Then her dad comes home. Tom Grissom murders him. Then he murders her eight year old son, Sean Grissom, who was with the dad so he murdered all of them by stabbing them to death now did he just leave the scene like that no because Danny Rowling was obsessed with staging crime scenes I think these types of serial killers are just so weird it's it's like the like the act of the killing itself is so important to them but it's also how the police find it which I think is just such an odd thing you know sometimes we imagine these serial killers to just be like in this frantic episode and then you know they don't even care about these consequences but he knows that the police are coming and so his signal With most of his victims, is that he would position the female, the woman's legs spread out in a sexually provocative pose. So just taking away all of their own dignity, everything, Mm. and so he would have them spread. He would fan her head, her hair out in a like you know kind of pose. Her hair. There was bite marks all over her breasts. And the police found the crime scene and they just couldn't tie it to anyone. It just seemed so random. They didn't think that Julie had anyone in her life that was out to get her. I mean, she didn't know this guy. Mm. Like nothing was leading to him. So, uh, you know, it was just weird. Now, a few months later, he gets into an argument with his family and he shoots his dad in the stomach and the head. The father ends up living, thankfully, but he lost an ear and lost sight in one eye.
0: The father that was abused him, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And wow. so in the audio journal, so Danny Rowling kept an audio journal, like almost like a podcast. <laughs> oh my god and in this it was really weird because okay first of all he has like a southern accent and he's like talking about this and he's a very whiny person he kind of sounds like the weepy voice serial killer like just very whiny like his whole vibe was just like complaining and whiny and like right and he would just always talk about how much he loves his dad but then almost immediately after he says I love my dad fuck him I hope he dies and goes to hell like he was just really conflicted like he would say I love him but I also curse him and like I hope that he has a miserable life It was just a lot like you could tell that some shit was going on with him. Like he just had conflicted emotions about his family. So he runs away after shooting his dad and ends up in Gainesville, Florida. Now, Gainesville, Florida is this great college town, suburban, super safe, right? Not a lot of people fighting alligators here. And a lot of people at the time were trying to move there because the University of Florida is there. So he gets a hotel room. He also sets up shop in the woods. So like he has a hotel room, but he also has like a tent in the woods With a mattress inside. So some days he wouldn't go back to the hotel. Even though he was paying for it. He would just like stay in the woods in that tent. Mm -hmm. And while he was shopping at Walmart. He found his next victims at that Walmart. Two University of Florida students. A Christina Powell who was 17 years old. And a Sonia Larson who was 18 years old. And they were buying stuff for their dorm. Like they were so excited. They had just moved into this little apartment together. And they were like oh my god. Like we should get this. And he was stalking them throughout the Walmart. And as he's stalking them. He starts grabbing things off the shelves, such as a screwdriver he would later use to murder them, a roll of duct tape he would later use to bind them, two pairs of gloves he would later use to break into their place, And now mostly a lot of this stuff was stolen, but he was gathering these things into his cart while he was walking behind them in a Walmart as they're looking for dorm stuff. They don't know this guy. It's just a rando at Walmart. He doesn't even try to talk to them. He's just stalking them. And so after they're shopping, he follows them back to their new apartment and waits out all night like in the nearby tree, like tree area, like the woods, right? Mm -hmm. So he wears an all black outfit. He puts on a ski mask and gloves that I think he carries with him everywhere. And at three in the morning, he creeps up into their apartment and he, using the screwdriver, pries open the door. Now, they did have a third roommate, Elsa. Uh Now, Elsa happened to not be home that night. Christina was asleep on the downstairs couch and he saw her first and he stood over her and I guess she didn't wake up. So he went upstairs and found Sonia in the bedroom. He taped her mouth shut and stabbed her repeatedly in the back until she died. Then he went downstairs and he woke up Christina, taped her mouth shut with duct tape, and he bound her wrist together behind her back, right? And uh-huh. he cut the clothes off of her. So that's like his signature. He likes to cut clothes off of his victim with like a knife, a pair of scissors, instead uh-huh. of like, I guess, taking it. I don't know. And he forced Christina to perform fellatio on him. And then he raped her. And then he stabbed her in the back. Now, he's going to do some weird Golden State Killer shit because then he would go into their kitchen and eat an apple and a banana. And then he proceeded to pose their bodies provocatively, especially Christina's. He had placed Christina's body right at the front door with her legs spread and posed in a very sexual manner. So the next morning, Christina's mom couldn't get an answer. She was just like, what the heck is going on? Why isn't my daughter picking up? Like, this is our baby. And she just left for college. So she's like, what the heck? Like, are you already partying? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And so she starts panicking. She calls all the the building managers and all the staff at this building. And of course, they're used to parents freaking out because this is like a college town, right? And so they're like, this is what we do every time. We just call the police. We cover our bases so that we're not liable for anything. And the police get there. Now, they're not really worried or expecting anything. They're just Mm like... Like, are you kidding? Like, they're probably hungover and like, don't want to tell their mom that they went underage drinking last night. Like, there's nothing. There's no reason to think anything probably happened. Now, when they get to the front door, they couldn't open the door like they couldn't knock it down for some reason. I don't know if they didn't want to, but they were just like, hey, like, let's just try to break open a window instead. So they broke open a window that was leading into the apartment and immediately they were hit with the smell because it's Florida. And I'm Mm. pretty sure it's hot and humid and smells get a little faster there. And they find Sonia Larson, legs spread, arms above her head, and her body was so mutilated that they had to use dental records to identify her. They also found Christina Powell murdered and posed in front of the front door so that if their roommate or a family member or a friend came in through the front door... That would be the first thing that they see. And if the police had come in through the front door, that would have been the first thing that they saw as well. Mm-hmm. Her breasts were mutilated, her nipples were removed, and they were missing from the crime scene. They couldn't find her nipples anywhere. Oh, hell no. Yeah. Edgeen. Yeah now both bodies were scrubbed with detergent this is like his thing too it's his mo he loves to scrub his bodies or his victims bodies with um either dish soap or some sort of detergent to get rid of all of his dna and um he stole their underwear from the crime scene and this was a lot like this was an intense crime scene i mean so many police officers had showed up you're talking college students you're talking what the fork is happening why are her nipples missing why are they mutilated right and before they were even done wrapping their heads around this one They got a call. Mm -hmm. There was another crime scene. Krista Hoyt. She was 18 years old, and this one was the most brutal. So she's the one that looked really similar to his ex-wife. Not just in the fact that she was petite, Caucasian, and had dark brown hair, but the fact that like even her facial features looked very similar to his wife, right? Her ex-wife. And she worked for the sheriff's office. She worked for the records department. So she was like a record keeper. Now, August 25th, she was late for her shift, which is so unlike her. Like I know she's 18, and I was late for everything when I was 18, but Krista, she had her life together. She was a really... An employee and so everyone was like hey we are the sheriff's office why don't we go send a deputy to go check up on her because you know what if something happened also side note imagine calling out sick but like you work for the police I'd be terrified and like I'm not really sick I'd be like they know they know these detectives they fucking know and so they go to the residence because they're like okay maybe something weird happened and there's no answer at the front door so they're like okay this is weird let's go to the back so they walk towards the back and they notice that her fence looks like it's been tampered with like a part of her fence looked like someone had jumped it so Mm -hmm. they're like okay really really strange now they go towards the windows and they're trying to look through now most of the blinds had been closed but there was some gaps that they could see through Mm -hmm. and that's when they saw it in her bedroom she was sitting at the edge of her bed in her bedroom completely naked but she was headless
0: oh my god
1: and so they call for backup and they break into her house and it was bad Her head was propped up on a bookshelf that was dragged in from another room and her head was forced to look at her headless body. Like her head was facing the body. Her two nipples had been cut off and placed on the bed next to her. Her breasts were completely cut off and then they were wrapped up in like, um, I don't know, like fucking cookie paper, like the, you know, paper. And it looked as if like someone was like taking it, like you get like a whole foods meat, like it had been oh, wrapped no, up, no, yeah. No. I mean, I don't know if he decided not to take it at the last minute or like why he did that or if it was just to mess with people. Now, this is the second twisted part. He looked for every single mirror in her house and brought it all into the bedroom and placed it around the room so that you could see her headless body or her decapitated head on the bookshelf from every angle of the room.
0: So he's doing all this for whoever's finding the currency. Yeah.
1: And it was incredibly horrific. I think I probably think that he was doing this for to traumatize more people. I think it was less about the police because, again, it seems like he was doing it for their loved ones to come home and see this or their roommates, you know. Mm -hmm. but um, yeah it was just really really bad and just her underwear was stolen from the crime scene and they were able to piece back the information and they said that he had pried open the sliding glass door with a screwdriver and a knife and he waited in her living room for her to return home that night and she walked in he placed her in a chokehold. he taped her mouth and her wrist um, bound with duct tape ran into the bedroom cut the clothes from her body and assaulted her which is really fucked up because Danny Rowling will always say play with her instead of saying i raped her he said then i brought her body into the room and then i played with her yeah Aww. and then he proceeded to stab her in the back now the first time he left he just left he just left right like that then he was like wait a minute i forgot my wallet at her place so he snuck back in in to get his wallet but then he was like wait a minute this isn't interesting the crime scene could be a lot more fun and that's when he you know started doing all that crazy shit so the police immediately they connect the murders. You're talking all women with shoulder-length brown hair, all sexually assaulted, mutilated, and this this was a lot of young girls in a college town. The wildfire that created from this press from the news, everything, it was just terrifying. People were so scared. Girls were having sleepovers, changing up their routine. It was to the point where a ton of girls either transferred to different schools or withdrew their enrollment from the University of Florida. And this was all taking place early on in the semester, so it impacted a huge huge ton of people now reminder Ted Bundy had murdered a bunch of college students in Florida State University a bunch of sorority girls at Florida State University this is University of Florida so I'm sure all of them were like fucking Ted Bundy 2.0 what the hell mm-hmm. it was to the point where sorority houses got 24-hour security guards to come and monitor all of the people the students that were living on campus they would gather 25 students to a big room and they would have a um, about two students or two faculty members just staying up all night. Like they would do rotations of who sleeps.
0: What? so that no one
1: could break in through like a sliding glass door. Now, thankfully, University of Florida made rules that if you miss classes or if you decide to go home and pause your enrollment, they're not going to penalize you. They also said that um all of their lounge areas were turned into like sleepovers. I mean, I don't want to say sleepovers cuz that sounds fun, but they said you could bring your sleeping bags and we're going to close off these areas of just like common rooms for students because if you live off campus, imagine like not wanting to travel to class. Mm-hmm. I would just be terrified. So so the FBI obviously immediately gets involved because they're like, Ted Bundy 2.0, what the fork? Mm-hmm. And so they get profilers on of it. This was at the time one of the most expensive Florida manhunts. It was a lot. They were getting a ton of leads. Just everyone was pointing the finger at everyone. There was like, you know what? My neighbor is suspicious and he takes the trash out too late, but he's suspicious. You know, it was just everyone calling everyone. My ex-husband, definitely, for sure. So they needed to go through each one of these because imagine one of them was actually a real lead. Now, around this time, a union bank gets robbed at gunpoint and the police find the suspect that matched the robbery description talking to another man on like the side of the highway. So they were like, that's really fucking suspicious. And he's wearing the same clothing that the bank robber was wearing. And he looks the same. So he tries to, the police tries to approach the two men. And one of the men just like dips into the woods off the highway, just like fucking books it full speed run. They don't catch him, but they find his campsite. And there was a bag of cash that had exploded dye all over it, which is what banks use. And they go back to the other guy on the side of the highway. And they're like, hey, who was that guy that you were talking to? And he says, I don't know. That dude was weird. He said his name is Michael J. Kennedy. We later find out that it was Danny Rowling. But Michael J. Kennedy. Wait, so they
0: do they work together?
1: No. He was just like, the dude just like came up to me and was like trying to talk to me. And I was like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to me?
0: huh okay yeah
1: and so then now we have the last murders tracy paul's was 23 years old and manny taboda was her roommate now here's something you need to know know about manny manny was um a football player at the university of florida he was a huge dude i think he was like a linebacker i think he was like close to 300 pounds of like pure fucking muscle or some shit okay the dude be eating protein bars like first thing he wakes up protein bar last thing he eats protein the dude's like 100 percent protein okay that's what i'm trying to say that was a really weird twisted way of saying the dude is jacked okay so he's living in this apartment so i'm sure tracy felt a little bit safer with that Uh and at this point danny breaks into the apartment because he had been stalking her and he liked her um liked is a weird word and he breaks into the apartment now manny was asleep in his bedroom and he was like well i gotta get rid of him you know because he's gonna kill me if he hears me quote playing with tracy right so he stabs him in the stomach really hard because he only has one shot the dude's 300 pounds and he's asleep now's your chance uh-huh. so danny stabbed him so hard that the knife went through his stomach and came out his back whoa and manny got up and started punching him started beating oh, up on him started fucking. it was a huge fight it was a huge fight manny was fucking trying to kill this dude uh-huh. yeah and danny even said that he almost died that night okay But somehow Danny got the knife and stabbed Manny 31 times during all of this until finally Manny died and he stopped fighting. Now, of course, you're talking 300 pounds, just like body slamming all over the place. Tracy heard this and she ran to the bedroom door that was open and she saw this. Uh She saw Danny covered in blood and she the closest thing that she I guess she could find was back to her room. I don't know. Maybe like running to the front door was too much or like a balcony or like I don't know. She ran back into her room and she. She slammed the door shut and she tried to barricade the door with like her dresser. Mm-hmm. But Danny broke down the door and oh he claims God. that her last words were, you're the one, aren't you? And he said, yes, I'm the one. And he attacked her, duct taped her mouth and wrists, cut off her clothing, raped her, stabbed her in the back, cleaned her body with soap and water, and then brought her out into the hallway where the front door was and posed her in a very sexually explicit pose. Now you're talking so many people have died at this point. So the police need a fucking suspect so bad. They need to catch this killer. And the main person on their list was Edward Lewis Humphrey. Oh, yeah. A freshman at the University of Florida. You want to know why? Okay, he looks like a serial killer, which just shows that the Florida State Police has have learned nothing since uh, Ted Bundy, okay? Um, he had these deep scars on his face because he got into a car accident when he was young, so he had um, a, just a lot of scarring on his face, and a lot of people thought he was creepy. That's he had why? A, well, he had a history of mental illness, and a lot of people said that he lived, you know, in the apartment across from Manny and Tracy. He was evicted because he would constantly threaten his neighbors. He would um wear camo all the time. He was obsessed with Satan. He talked about murder nonstop. I'm like true crime podcaster he carried a knife around all the time he just like would spend nights in the woods like he would just be like bye now and then just like go into the woods and just like spend four nights there and so people were like oh my god you guys talked about a campsite in the woods like this is the dude this is the dude now he didn't have a criminal record at the time but because of his history of mental illness the police were like yes biggest suspect ever so they start surveillance on Edward and this is the point where Edward's mom calls the police and says you need to come over right now because Edward just assaulted my mom he just assaulted his 79 year old grandma so they arrest him
0: wait 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 the mother of Edwards?
1: yeah is
0: calling saying that edward assaulted my son
1: just assaulted my mom
0: which is edward's grandma yeah is that true
1: yeah so i mean i don't think it was sexual assault it seems physical right but still alarming right but um he gets arrested bail was set at one million dollars and now press get a hold of this right and they're like oh my god we're so smart the killings have stopped since edward has been in jail so it must be everybody take a chill pill we caught the killer edward the weirdo the freshman and um you know everyone was just kind of on the fence about it edward's family even came out and kept saying he didn't do this he didn't do this even his grandma was like he would never Be a murderer Like he He has some issues That we need to take care of But he's not a murderer Mm. Now what's really sad Is that they had to test The DNA from the crime scene To Edward And that would take a while Right Mm -hmm. And his grandma Died of a heart attack Before they got the DNA results so she never got to see that he was actually cleared because Mm -hmm. it was not a match with any of the crime scenes Mm -hmm. now around this time Danny Rowling gets arrested in a different town in Florida and he was arrested for burglary now through this investigation they start collecting his you know DNA because they decided that a lot of the tools that he had when he was robbing the bank was -hmm. very similar to the exact tools that were used in all of the murders that was happening in Gainesville like the screwdriver and all of these things and so they got his DNA and it was a match
0: holy forking short
1: holy forking short yeah and they find an audio journal in his possession and it was just him like singing country songs that he wrote and he sang yeah which then like it was this whole murderabilia thing because like lots of people wanted their hands on some of their songs and you know it was a lot so the trial right The trial is going to take place. And he said that the motive, the police were like, why'd you do it? Why are you going around killing people? And he said, I like to kill people and I want to be a superstar like Ted Bundy. Honestly, if someone came up to me and said that they wanted to be the next Ted Bundy, I would find it incredibly difficult to find the right words and learn how to express myself clearly with those words. So, for example, my fiance emailed me the other day and I wanted to keep it <laughs> super professional. I wanted to let him know, like, I'm not trying to have this flirtatious thing going on. It's strictly professional. And I use Grammarly to make that clear, effective communication and catch all of those spelling mistakes. Grammarly Premium has honestly saved my life. In in the past like year or so because I feel like these days we get so many messages so many documents sent to us and things just start blending together in my head and they all start sounding the same so more effective writing is the key to making better connections whether it's connecting with your family that you're not you know nearby right now or whether it's your boss your colleagues your professor your school Grammarly Premium gives you the real-time insights and guidance on tone word choice clarity and more so that you can communicate clearly and confidently I I feel like the world now everything's done online so you got to make those words count mm-hmm. you gotta sound professional you gotta sound smart My favorite is that with Grammarly Premium, it's completely just elevated my writing. I avoid overused words, redundancies, and it keeps the other party engaged in what I have to say. And a lot of the times it gives me so much confidence. There's a feature that makes your sentences clear, concise, and crisp by cutting out any unnecessary words or redundant words. You can use it on all of your favorite sites and apps, Gmail, Outlook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and more. So don't just say it, make a statement. Elevate your writing with 20% off of Grammarly Premium by signing up at Grammarly.com dot com slash rotten mango that's twenty percent off grammarly premium at grammarly dot com slash rotten mango now, he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and um, lots of, like, sexual fetishes. Like, he just had, yeah, he was possibly a necrophiliac, is what people said, or these psychiatrists said. It was just intense. He was obsessed with mutilation. He was obsessed with nipples, but, like, not in, like, a cute, like, way. I mean, I don't know if it's ever cute, but like not in like a legal way. And so Louisiana authorities get wind of this because they're like, oh, my God, this guy who like grew up in Louisiana. And that's when they're like, wait a second. We had a triple homicide in our state that has never, never been solved where a woman was posed provocatively after she was, you know, raped, assaulted, killed, murdered, mutilated. And so right before the trial, just shockingly, he pled guilty to all of the charges. Five counts of first degree murder, three counts of armed burglary, three counts of sexual battery, and he was sentenced sentenced to death. He would also eventually confess to the um, Louisiana murders. So he was never extradited for a trial because I think it was just, it would be costly, but also the families didn't want it because he's going to die anyway. Now, in prison, this is where it gets weird. Yeah, you thought that it couldn't get weirder, but it gets weirder in prison, okay? So, in prison, people were terrified of him. They talked, he talked nonstop about his hatred for women. If they, the prisoners, were watching Madonna music videos on MTV, mm-hmm. on the TV, he would fucking yell at them and he would go, psychotic and he would say that madonna is evil and he wants to cut her head off and put it on a bookshelf he also like became a christian oh, it's, okay yeah so obviously it was like Not real Christianity, but he claims that he's a Christian and he would try to beat up other inmates who had girlfriends because he says it's a fucking sin if you don't marry them like you're committing sin. If you are, you know, doing anything sexual with them, you're committing sins right now because you guys aren't married, which is kind of an odd thing to say because I'm pretty sure raping and murdering is a sin. But like he was like, you have to marry your girlfriend. Otherwise, it's a sin. And he would just get so mad at his inmates. Yeah. Now, this is when Danny finds a lover by the name of Sandra London, who was a freelance journalist and an author who started a relationship with him. And she states that originally it was a professional relationship because she wanted exclusive rights to his story. But then it got really, really heated. Now, this is where it gets insane. She has a weird past. So Sandra dated Gerald John Schaefer in a If you don't know him, he was a serial killer. So, this is the second serial killer that she's dated. To be fair, the first serial killer, Gerald Schaefer, that she dated, um, they dated when they were teenagers before he even committed his crimes. So, he wasn't a serial killer back then. But um, after he was arrested, she rekindled a connection with him and she went to go visit him in jail and was like, Gerald, we should write a book together. And he said, No, I don't want to write a book about my crimes. I don't want to do this. I don't want anyone to know about my crimes while he's in jail, right? Mm -hmm. And so she's like, It's okay. We can write a fictional book. And so he's like, Okay, that sounds fun. And he starts writing up all these crazy shits and it sounds exactly like his actual crimes because what he would do is he would murder and mutilate teenage girls in the woods. And that was what the fictional book was about. Mm. So it just seemed like an autobiography, but in the pose of a fiction, you know, saying Mm -hmm. it was fiction. Now, the book was never released because they started fighting. And Mm -hmm. so they like just got disgruntled and they were like, I'm not working with you anymore. And so that was like her first stint of like getting married to a serial killer, like getting into bed with one with a book. And so eventually she goes and she talks to, um, you know, Danny and Mm -hmm. they start hitting it off now after he proposes yeah they got engaged yeah
0: he was still in jail though
1: yeah he proposes because he traded in his artwork to a jeweler to get an engagement ring that that was a lot of controversy for that one because that's murderabilia which means like you know prisoners you're like making it seem like they're artists or that whatever they create is high value when it's really not it's just ass it's trash right have you seen yeah. John Wayne Gacy's paintings ass yeah. dude total ass and so um, yeah they get engaged and she went on all these talk shows she would talk to anyone who would listen she did press fucking tours about how she's engaged to like a serial killer and it was insane now because of the son of Sam Laws David Berkowitz he can't profit off of this book that he's trying to write with Sandra about his life right but mm-hmm. she could profit off of it but mm-hmm. then the courts decided you know what Sandra London you're kind of a sneaky bitch and we don't like you so we want you any money that you make off of this book is expected to go to the victim's families and she said that she was upset she felt like the families of these victims were money hungry gold diggers like why i'm the one putting in the work i'm the one writing this book what are you doing yeah (laughs) She, th- she said they were money hungry. Now, she did publish a book, not about that one, but a different one that describes Danny because she went around on like this huge tour where she would go to multiple prisons and meet a bunch of men on death row. <laughs> That's like her Tinder, I guess. And so she met Danny and this is how she describes the meeting. I approached my meeting with Danny prepared for anything, but there was one thing I wasn't prepared for. I had no idea what a fine-looking man he is today. Instead of the broken and dejected loser I had seen on TV, standing before my hungry eyes was one gorgeous hunk of a man. Shut the fuck up. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, folks, but it's the truth. Six feet two with muscles. Ugh. His color is bright. His youthful skin is glowing. His hazel eyes are clear. So is his head.
0: Is she okay?
1: No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Obviously not. My dangerous pussycat strides across the floor with a languid power and instinctive grace that makes me highly aware that I am a woman. And this is a man. No, really. Yeah, no, really.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. And
1: Danny, he was like fucking teenager, too. He would constantly talk to press about their relationship. And he would say, my relationship with Sandra runs as deep as the Amazon River and just as wild. She's an extremely exciting woman. Just the mention of her name sends my heart racing to her. And they believed that they were soulmates. Now, uh, Danny went on this whole rant to all the press and said that he was denied simplest of human rights because they were not allowed to hold hands during visits. You just killed people, dude. You're so killer. What do you mean? Get out of here. Simplest of human rights, my asshole. And so Danny was talking to other women as well during all of this. Yeah, it's crazy how many. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, Sandra knew it and just called them all whores. So, the day of the execution, he refused to say anything to the victims' families, but he sang a song for Son- Son- Sandra.
0: He sang a song.
1: He sang a song that he wrote a super shitty song for Sandra and their love and how they're soulmates huh. in front of the victims' families who had come to watch him get executed. What a fucking slap in the face. No?
0: Wow, yeah.
1: Like, to be like, really? Really? Like, you're singing, you killed so many people, and you're like, my love runs as deep as the Amazon River. Like, what are you? Yeah. His last meal, um, because I know, you know, if you guys came from (laughs) my YouTube channel, lobster tail and butter, butterfly shrimp with cocktail sauce, strawberry cheesecake, a baked potato with sour cream and butter, and sweet tea. Really bad, huh? Mm. So that is the story of the Gainesville Ripper.
0: What's wrong with him? Just I mean, he does
1: have mental illnesses, but I think he's just evil. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think a lot of the times, you know, sometimes true crime perpetuates this stigma that, you know, everyone with antisocial personality disorder is scary. But it's very rare, you know. Mm -hmm. It just happens that a lot of serial killers have that diagnosis. But most people that are, you know, you know. I mean, I don't even know what to say. I mean, the one good thing, though, is that a lot of the victims at the University of Florida, they now have scholarships in their names and they have these memorials. There was actually one mural that was painted on a wall. Now, this wall, you're not supposed to paint on it. So what these um, the police would come and they would repaint over it. They would hire people to repaint over it. There was nothing that you could paint on there like graffiti that would stay for more than like a day max. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, an artist went out there and painted a memorial like a mural for all of the victims. And it's still there. Like the University of Florida actually preserves it. So they'll go in and make oh, the paint brighter. Nice. So nobody has ever taken it down. Wow. Yeah. And they, the families are all friends. So, I mean, I mean, it's not like a silver lining, but it's, it's the only thing that can help us sleep at night. Mm-hmm. So I hope you guys enjoyed this week's podcast of sick, twisted people who've got a weird anger towards women and want to decapitate them. Lock your doors and I'll see you guys next week bye
0: bye